If you love postseason basketball, then this episode is perfect for you. The Jazz's season is over, but the NBA playoffs are about to begin. And speaking of the NBA playoffs, what are our predictions for each of the matchups? And for our draft segment this week, we're going to be drafting our top 10 NBA playoff series since 2010. So there's going to be some good ones in there. And it's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. All right, so rather than getting into headlines this week, we're going to jump into kind of a major local headline for the sports world in Utah, and then we'll just go right into our NBA playoff predictions, uh, matchups, what we think, and the like. But biggest news right now this week coming out of the state of Utah, the bid that the um, Big League Utah made for an MLB team to come to Utah and a potential expansion for Major League Baseball. Richie, what are your thoughts on professional baseball maybe coming out to the great state of Utah? Look, I got to be candid. I'm not a baseball guy. I think it's a fine sport. I've been to Angels game. I've been to Dodgers game. I've been to Salt Lake Bees game, you know. Um, I've So I've, I've experienced it. And I do think the MLB setting is definitely an upgrade from um, the minor league setting. I mean, that should go without saying. Um, but overall, I'm excited about like the announcement and what it could mean just for Utah sports in general. Um, I think having another professional franchise, probably it just, it feels like it would elevate everything around it at the same time. Um, And that's kind of one of the reasons I'm excited. I also just think it's going to be a fun for a lot of baseball fans that are from Utah that have never really felt like they have a true team to kind of have this team to feel like they are part of something and to see it build from the ground up. Because the last time we had a franchise move, I believe it was Real Salt move here. Professional franchise was Real Salt Lake. And it's been fun. People have gotten more and more into it. Um, but like a lot of people weren't around when the Jazz moved here. Um, some people were, but most people weren't. And so having a franchise of that caliber, whether it comes in the form of expansion, whether it comes in the form of buying a current franchise, I think it's going to be really interesting for a lot of people here. Um, and it's going to be fun to see it go from just ground zero to building their own stadium um, to all the other things that owning an MLB franchise, um, got, got all the things that come with that. So I just overall, I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see what happens with it. Um, I mean, it's still pretty early in the talks and there's nothing confirmed. And there's a lot of routes that we could get an MLB franchise to Salt Lake through. So I think it's just important to be, you know, a little even killed about it because it's not a sure thing. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of cities competing for this potential expansion. And and that's the thing is I feel like when the news broke on Wednesday, it kind of felt as if there was a real like a super real possibility that like, you know, MLB's coming really soon and we're all kind of freaking out. But it's really just a uh, a bid that they made, they made it vocal. They made sure that they have a, a front office uh, people at, at the top to kind of lead the charge. Um, it, it was awesome. I, I was able to listen to an interview with Dale Murphy, who's also with team big league Utah and kind of the bid for baseball to come here. And it sounds like the MLB, a good timeline to wait for this expansion period. He said would be about three to five years. And it looks like the MLB wants to expand one to one team in the East and then to one team in the West. And right now, kind of out of the cities that are looking for bids, there's a lot of teams in the East, right? Obviously, it's more populated and cities are super close together. I think a popular one right now would be in uh, North Carolina. Um, I think from what I've heard, there's a lot of baseball teams from around the area and there's not really one 
around North Carolina, so they want to add one to kind of put in the middle. But over in the West, it's really a battle between two cities, Portland and Salt Lake. And looking at the um, like the flight routes of all the teams when they visit, um, like the teams in the southwest part of the United States, like they'll have to go through Utah. I feel like geographically it makes sense. Um, and I think having like a professional organization lead the charge to create a bid this early on is also looking good for Salt Lake. I know last year there was kind of some talks about the Angels coming. Um, the Angels were looking to relocate, and I think Salt Lake was wanting to put their name in, and obviously they want to bring more sports in. I think it's but I think it's awesome that both the Millers and Ryan Smith, they've both been very vocal about trying to get more professional sports in the state because it's awesome. We love the Utah Jazz. We love Real Salt Lake, but like that's really all we have. Uh, Bees games are fun. Grizzlies games are fun, but it's not it's not the big leagues, and so it kind of it, you lose that sense of the sport in a way. So I'm excited to see if maybe we can create a new team in Utah. I think that'd be my preference. I'd love to see a, a new squad. I don't know the the Utah Pioneers. Or I don't know. You come up with something. Angels wouldn't be so bad. We could slap an Angel Moroni or something on top of the, one of the <laughs> smokestacks. But Richie, what are your thoughts on uh, the potential stadium? They they already dug the lot that the stadium would potentially be built on. And it's over in the power district with the huge smokestacks in the distance. Do you feel like that's a good location for a potential professional baseball team to come? It's definitely unique. Um, there's no franchise that quite has the same skyline as that would look like um, the mix of the smokestacks and the mountains. And so, I mean, if you're going for uniqueness, I think it's fine. However, I think if you're going for like an overall aesthetic pleasing um good on the eyes feel i think get rid of the smokestacks like i just don't think the smokestacks make sense also like it's just gonna upset people because of what those smokestacks sim symbolize like as far as pollution and the problem that's been for utah just in the past with air quality and stuff so i could see it being like a little bit controversial at the end of the day i don't think it really matters that much like i think you could make it, it like i said it would be really unique and you could make it its own unique thing. Um, and if, like I said, if that's what you're going for, if your number one priority is being apart from the pack in that aspects of your stadium, then you're absolutely going to accomplish it. Um, either way, just the way Utah sports are trending as far as jazz basketball, um, as far as Real Salt Lake, like every game is a sellout for sports. And I think you would have that same energy brought into Salt Lake with baseball. Um, you'd have a lot of people that get into baseball that frankly aren't into baseball right now because of it. You'd have people going there, just people in Utah, they like to get out. And so you're creating this, another opportunity for people to get out when there's not jazz games going on, when there's just not a lot of other sporting events going on. And for that reason, I think it could be really good as far as having Utah as an expansion city versus some other cities in the West. Um, the fan base will be loyal. They'll be dedicated and I don't know if you can say the same thing about Portland. I don't know if you can say the same thing about Vegas because um, the people in Vegas, most of them are there to just gamble. You know, you're not going to have people showing up to all 82, whatever, however many baseball games there are every single year. Whereas I think in Salt Lake, you would have that advantage because of just the local populace and um, how much people care about local sports. So I think that's why Salt Lake would be a really good reason, just because you're going to get the fan base so involved. I 100% agree. 
just like you, I'm not that big of a baseball fan, but you can bet your bottom dollar I'm grabbing some gear if they bring a baseball team here. As long as it's not like the San Diego Padres colors, I'm all in. Uh, we already have the highlighter yellow. I'm good with that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I, color? I, what color scheme can they choose that the Jazz haven't used yet, though? That's true. That's true. The Jazz have basically been every color of the rainbow. <laughs> so I think I don't think I don't think the potential Utah baseball team could go wrong. Um, as, as far as the smoke uh, smokestacks go, I saw some uh, funny, I guess ways that people thought of to kind of include them as part of like a tradition type thing. If baseball did show up in that lot, you could have flames come out of the top. Every time the home team gets a home run, you can like light one up every time an opposing player, like for every strike, they get it in the box or you can paint them all like baseball bats. Um, I don't know. You find different ways to, the one thing though, I didn't like was that the whole like North side of the stadium in terms of the kind of layout that they gave the little design it was like a whole grassy field. And if you look at like all the MLB stadiums, they're freaking packed, like chairs all around. And I think the best part is like you want to be out in the outfield so you can catch one of those home runs. And the one thing I am excited about is if a team does come here, I think even though I'm not a fan of baseball, one of the things on my bucket list has is to be able to go to a playoff MLB game because uh, I think the environment in playoff baseball is pretty unrivaled. Um, and now that the game is a lot faster, thanks to the pitching clock, uh, sign me up. I'm totally down. So hopefully we can get like more news throughout the years. And like I said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be buying a ton of gear. Um, if a team does come, but a lot of you guys are here for NBA playoff talk and that's what we're here to do. Richie, we've already seen, uh, both the seven seeds make their way in. Um, and now tonight it's a battle for the eight seed in the last round of the play-in game. So we're going to be seeing Oklahoma city and Minnesota and Chicago and Miami. Richie, give me your thoughts on the play-in games that we've already seen. Um, and then give us kind of your predictions for what's going to happen in this eight seed game. Well, I'll start with the seven eights. Um, so first you had Miami versus Atlanta. That was a really interesting game. I don't think anybody saw Atlanta winning that game. Um, and credit to them, I I mean, I thought they really played a good game. They out-rebounded the heck out of Miami, and that was really the story of the game. I also thought it was just, it's interesting how much people fear Miami when you look at their body of work this year. It hasn't been all that impressive. Jimmy Butler has been fantastic, but outside of that, like, Bam Adebayo hasn't been that defensive player of the year level guy that he always campaigns himself to be. Um, I don't think Tyler Hero has been that great. He's he's fine, but he's just – I don't think he's good enough to be a second option. Um, and then the rest of their roster, like Kyle Lowry's had a really bad year. He had, he played great in the play-in game, but he's had a really bad year. Uh, they brought in Kevin Love, who isn't playing great. And they brought in Victor Oladipo. They re-signed him. Oladipo's hardly a factor. And so looking at Miami, just like they don't, they don't have the pieces right now to be – in contention and we're going to get to this a little bit later but i could see them potentially blowing things up this summer um just i'm i'm not stoked about like where their franchise is right now they just have all these undrafted free agent guys playing for them and i don't think that's the route you want to be in um so that game was it was fine uh i think boston fans are taking a huge sigh of relief though because that playoff series versus Miami was really stressful last year. It came down to the last shot in game seven. Jimmy Butler almost hit that three, that transition three, 
and that would have been the series. Miami would have gone to the finals. Um, so obviously a lot of anxiety there for Boston fans, but they can live to breathe. I think Atlanta is a much more suitable matchup for them. Um, going to the Lakers Memphis game. Wow. Or Lakers Minnesota game. Uh, sorry. I, that game was such crap that my mind just doesn't even work talking about it. Um, it was really hard to watch down the stretch. Like Minnesota, especially in that fourth quarter was really rough. Uh, I thought Carl Anthony Towns played a good game. I thought LeBron offensively was doing normal LeBron offensive things, which is obviously high caliber. Anthony Davis was great. Um, it was interesting that some of the pieces the Lakers trade for traded for at the deadline were basically non-factors in that game. Uh, they didn't close with Vanderbilt, Beasley, or D'Angelo Russell, and I think that's going to be a story in the playoffs because you're going to need those guys to step up in major ways. Um Obviously, each of them has different roles for the Lakers, but I think those three guys really need to step up. Um, Minnesota, Cat played great, like I said. Mike Conley played an incredible game, which as a Jazz fan was just awesome to watch. Obviously, they didn't have Jaden McDaniels or Rudy Gobert or Nas Reed, so they're pretty shorthanded. Um, and overall, I just it was, it was a pretty ugly game. Lakers had some really bad turnovers. Minnesota could not hit a shot, and... It was a pretty crappy game. Um, the following night, we had Toronto-Chicago. Story of that game, I feel like, is DR DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan's daughter. The Toronto Raptors going 18-36 from the free throw line. That's just absolutely horrible. I think Toronto is definitely a team to watch this offseason. I was saying that all season this year as far as like being a trade candidate for the Utah Jazz. and I think they are still in that boat just because of the way their season ended. Um, pretty mediocre. Chicago... I thought they played a good game. Zach Levine is a really, really good player. Um, it's interesting seeing him when he's healthy. I also just think they have some really good pieces. Uh, Alex Caruso is really good. Patrick Williams has been playing great ball lately. Nikola Vucevic, um, who I've been pretty down on, has played really good um, the last stretch. And so has DeMar DeRozan, obviously, their number one guy. So they're, they're an interesting team. Um, and then finally moving on to that OKC Pelicans game. Man, the Pelicans are just in a really weird spot as a franchise. I mean, they have this number one pick who is such a fantastic player when he plays, who can dominate in a way like we haven't seen physically since Shaquille O'Neal, in my opinion. And I just think Zion Williamson is such a good player. But his his lack of availability has been such a problem for the Pelicans. And I think if they had him available, they're probably a top four seed in the West right now. They were the number one seed at one point this year, and that was a great story. And no team has gone from number one seed in December to out of the playoffs, um, to not even in the playoff picture, not even making a playoff spot. And I think there's maybe some dysfunction going on around New Orleans. Uh, obviously, just Zion is the big wild card there, but they also didn't have some guys like Jose Alvarado, who I think would have really helped them. Um but props to OKC. I mean, they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. They're a really interesting matchup going forward, and I'm excited to talk about them in tonight's playing games. I, I hope that was a good enough recap of kind of what happened. Um, I think we can move on to uh, what's going to happen tonight with Miami-Chicago. What are your thoughts on that game, Thatch? I really like both of these last playing games. Um, I feel like since the first year of the play-in uh, a few years back. And 
there was just something magical about that first plan. I felt like all the games were super fun to watch, especially as a Jazz fan. I think we were more intrigued because the plan had to deal with our first opponent, and it ended up being Memphis, which was kind of the surprise candidate. Um, uh, speaking as a Jazz fan, going back two years ago, um, you see the you watch the Lakers Warriors game, probably still to this day the best plan game up to now, and. After that game, I'm like, oh, shoot. We're going to have to play the Warriors. Jazz lose first round against an eight seed. It's going to be terrible. Memphis shows up in Golden State and puts on a great show. And then the, obviously we know that the Jazz end up playing the Grizzlies, and it was a great series. Um, uh, albeit it was five games, but I thought it was very entertaining. Now going into this one, I feel like although the whoever wins and gets the eight seed, although their series with the one seeds, in my opinion, won't be – um, as entertaining, I think these games will be really fun to watch. Um, Chicago, Miami is, I, I think it's two franchises that are both in very interesting spots. You kind of already mentioned Miami Chicago's felt. I, I think they've just felt in a, in a middle ground for a long time now. Um, I think they have a great player in tomorrow, like you've already mentioned, and they have great key pieces, uh, Vucevic Caruso, um, and, Patrick Beverly. I mean, you've got all these different guys that can play well for you um, throughout different stretches, but I just feel like they haven't either been bad enough or been good enough for me to really pay that much attention to them. They've kind of just played the middle ground. And so I think no matter what happens in this game, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that franchise goes moving forward. In my opinion, I think Miami's going to learn from the big mistakes that they made against uh, the Hawks in the first round of the play. And you mentioned it was the rebounds. That was so uh, not even being a Miami fan, it was very frustrating to watch a team that obviously your one concern is to get a rebound. And throughout the entire course of the game, they just could not do it. And the Hawks were able to just stay every time that the heat hit them, they were able to respond just by getting the boards. So I think Miami is going to learn from that one huge critical error. And I think they get the win against Chicago. Um, but again, I don't think the first round matchup, uh, bodes well for the Heat. I think the Bucks are insanely good. Um, but that's going to be my prediction for the East. As far as it is in the West, I think this is another fantastic game. We've already talked a lot about OKC in past episodes, um, how well they're set up. A lot of young talent, average age 23 across the team. They got 15 first-round draft picks that last until 2027. Um, I think it includes four first-round draft picks, I think, next year. They're just set up very well, and I think that the fact that they're competing with this young roster this soon, it bodes well for the organization. Um, Minnesota, like you mentioned, what a crappy game we saw against the Lakers. But Mike Conley, I feel like, was the missing piece of that organization. There just still feels like some disconnect, and obviously with the whole Rudy Gobert stuff with him throwing a punch at Kyle Anderson and all that whole you know drama. But I, I think the... I like the pieces. They just don't seem to play well together most of the time. It was tough to see Anthony Edwards. He, ha he was doing really good on the defensive end, I think, when he was matching up, but his offense just wasn't there. And that was a key piece because they didn't score for a lot of minutes in the fourth quarter, which led the Lakers to bring a comeback. Um, this, one's, this one's tough, but I think I might go with Oklahoma City there. And I'm not going to speak – I. That maybe is a bias because if Minnesota loses, the Jazz get two first round, uh, two two lottery picks. I'm all for that. I just think OKC's got a good thing going, and but I think this really is a toss up. But I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards the Thunder. 
Um, Gilgis Alexander's playing great and company. So my picks are going to be the Thunder and the Heat. So who are you going to go with, Rich? Okay, I'll I'll start with that OKC Minnesota game because that to me is the more intriguing game. Just like you said, because of what's at stake. Um, I'm really curious to see how Anthony Edwards back bounces back. I totally believe in Anthony Edwards. It's only his third year in the NBA. He's a really fantastic player, does so much at a really high level. I think he has top five player potential, in my opinion, just because of the way he locks in at both ends, especially in this kind of a setting. Um, And so I think he's going to, the Anthony Edwards versus Shea Gilgis Alexander matchup is the matchup to watch, in my opinion. Um, I'm also curious to see if Rudy Gobert does play. If Minnesota um, is at like as full strength as they can be tonight, how OKC counters their size? Um, we have seen the Rudy Gobert playoff high intensity basketball collapse, and it's it's usually been a team problem. I don't think it's always been because of Rudy Gobert, um, but there is something about playing a five out lineup that makes it hard for Rudy Gobert to play basketball, and the way OKC is set up right now is exactly for that style of basketball, because frankly, they don't have any centers. They have Dario Saric and they have like Kendrick Williams, but Kendrick Williams is injured. Uh, Chet Holmgren, their number two pick, number two pick got injured. Um, So they just, they don't have a lot of size. They've been playing uh, Jalen Williams from Arkansas, I believe at the center. And he's like six, nine. That's, that's great. That's, exactly what it seemed like the Clippers were doing when they were playing like Mark Marcus Morris at their five or playing um, one of their other wings. And so I could see this game going down similarly to the way game six, game four, game five of the Utah Jazz versus Clippers in 2021 went down. Um, I think they're going to try to stretch Rudy Gobert out. Obviously the counter to that would just be playing Towns um, because Towns is a guy that can play out, maybe not so much defensively, but definitely offensively. And if he is your five, he can punish the mismatch um, offensively. Their size, I think, bodes well for Minnesota just because I think they will dominate the rebound matchup. OKC is like 30th in rebounding this season, just like I said, because they have no size. Um, But what they lack in rebounding, they make up for in a lot of other ways. So I I think it's going to be a chess match of a game. I'm really excited to see like what kind of lineups Minnesota rolls out. Right now, we don't even know if Rudy Gobert can play. So all of this could be totally useless information. Um, he's currently listed as questionable. I think Carl Anthony Towns is as well. I would expect both of them to play. It's th- at worst their last game of the season. Um, I feel like it's worth it to play. Anthony Edwards is going to play Mike Conley. Like Minnesota, they still have a lot of pieces. I think they could be successful in this game. Um, I do think I'm going to take Minnesota in this game. As far as the Miami-Chicago game, like I said, these... Two franchises, I think they're both gearing up for a make the playoffs or blow up your team. And the reason I say that is just like, it's more for the Miami perspective, but because of where they are just as a franchise, it doesn't seem like they have a clear direction. They're not getting better. Um, I don't think Bam Adebayo has turned into like the top five player that some people thought he would be. Frankly, I never saw it. I think he's a really good player. I think he's an all-star caliber player but he's not that kind of player. Um, Jimmy Butler's getting older. Tyler Hero has kind of plateaued as far as his development. I don't think he's going to be getting a lot better. They don't have draft assets coming in. They haven't found like any of these young guys that are going to totally change the course of their franchise. 
my prediction is they're going to trade Tyler Hero and like three picks for Damian Lillard this offseason and just go with like a bunch of old dudes, try to ball out. Um, I could see something like that happening. As far as Chicago, they're in a really hard situation with Lonzo Ball, with Lonzo Ball. And he hasn't played basketball in like over a year. Um, his knee status has just been awful. I feel so bad for him because I think Lonzo Ball, when he was playing good, was really an, such a dynamic player on both ends. And he completed this Chicago team. There's a reason they had the number one record for a lot of the year last year. And I think a big reason of that was Lonzo Ball and just his connectiveness between DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. They haven't had that this year. And I think that's going to, it's a really big problem for them. Um, they won't have rights to their draft pick this year unless it's top four. So Chicago, they just, they feel like another team that's just like so close to maybe having everything go wrong and blowing it up, sending Zach Levine somewhere, keeping DeMar DeRozan trying to put some capable guys around him, but probably just being perennially average. And that's kind of where I see this this game going. Whoever loses, I think they're on the fast track for that direction. Um, overall, though, I think I'm going to take Miami in this game just because of Miami's experience. That being said, I would never count on DeMar DeRozan to not go off in like a single elimination game. I think he totally has that potential. He can get to his shot. Um, it's going to be a duel between him and Jimmy Butler and just that entire matchup. So I'm really excited to watch that. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go Minnesota and Miami. Solid predictions. Uh, I'm totally down for DeMar DeRozan, Jamal Murray uh, in the, in the bubble-esque type of performance. I think that's totally, I, that can totally happen. DeMar DeRozan, he, he can just go off in the playoffs. I loved the old Raptors team with him and Lowry where he would just. Dude, yeah, him and Lowry going at it. Yeah, that's uh I I miss that duo so much. I was a low-key Raptors fan in like 20 the 2015-2016 era. I loved it. Um now let's get into the the series that we already know are set and they're put together. Um we'll kind of go through the latest ones or kind of the the big topic ones and maybe the ones maybe people aren't paying attention to but what you should look out for um if you're trying to tune in. Obviously the biggest one that being that the Lakers are involved, Lakers Grizzlies. Uh, so much drama has gone on between these two organizations throughout this entire NBA season. I felt like stuff that's not even about basketball, but you have, this is two star studded teams. And I think teams that both have a lot of expectations. Um, obviously the Lakers franchise is just trying to win an NBA championship every single year. And the Grizzlies has put together a solid squad over the last few years. And now they've really got a solid piece put together fantastic season besides the drama outside, besides the John Morant talk, besides the Dylan Brooks slander, like they just have a good chemistry. And if you hate it, you hate it, but you have to admit they play well together. And so I think that's obviously going to be Memphis's strength going into the playoffs. And that's really why they have um, that high of a seating. Um, Lakers, on the other hand, I feel like they'll put up a really good fight. Um, I think, they had really good pieces, especially when the Jazz made that trade. I felt like that really helped the Lakers' cause, helped them bump themselves up to be able to get a seven seed. Um, but I still think the Lakers, or excuse me, I still think the Grizzlies take this in six. Um, and I think that mainly because, again, this the Memphis unit knows how to play together. And L.A., I feel like 
it just feels like every year they're kind of on the verge of a collapse and they're just trying to kind of put some band-aids on what seems to be a unfixable problem. Um, I thought that, like I said, Malik Beasley, the Jared Vanderbilt thing would help. And I think it did for much of the regular season. It was interesting though, that they didn't play a lot of key minutes in that first round of the play in game because they weren't really producing. Um, like you said, LeBron had a really good offensive stretch or excuse me, offensive game. Um, Played very well, same with Anthony Davis, but the supporting cast didn't do so hot. And we saw the shooting numbers in the fourth quarter. Um, overall in the game, the Lakers just didn't seem to have it. And they had good looks, but they just don't have shooters. That's really why they got Malik Beasley is so LeBron could have some help because it was so easy to, to defend against the Lakers when you had Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder, LeBron James, Anthony Davis on the floor. Like you just know. There's only a few clutch shooters, although Dennis did hit that you know clutch wide open corner three to take it to overtime. But going back to the topic of the series, I really like Memphis in this one. I I don't think uh, I think this one will be entertaining for again a lot of stuff that pertains to outside of the actual basketball. I think it's it'll be super fun to watch. Um, obviously, we love to see LeBron in playoff basketball. Um, dude takes it to another level, kind of like how I do it in 2K. You kind of just press press the RT button on your Xbox controller and take it to the rack. Dude's probably going to drop like close to 30 a game is my prediction, probably high 20s. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Grizzlies in six. So what are your predictions for this 7-2 matchup out in the West? Yeah, I in my opinion, this is actually the series that is going to be the biggest toss-up. Um, the first thing I'm watching for is the Jaw versus LeBron matchup. I think John Morant and LeBron, as far as basketball players, as far as basketball IQ, are actually pretty similar. Um, John Morant has a really good grip on reading the half-court offense, on just reading the game in general. He has really good vision. Um, I think he totally understands the game to the level that like guys like LeBron, Chris Paul, Draymond Green understand the game. Um, I also think just the way he's able to get buckets, and specifically with his floater, absolutely breaks team's defense because they have to throw so many different options at it. So I'm really curious to see who the Lakers are going to have guard John Morant. I don't think Austin Reeves is fast enough. Obviously LeBron at this point in the stage is not going to be guarding John Morant. Um, So I'm curious to see if they go like Schroeder or one of the popular theories going around has been Jared Vanderbilt on John Morant. And I think that could be a a potential matchup. Um, I would be curious to see what that looks like. Like I said, I think Jaw really has that game-breaking um, potential just as a player. And then their supporting cast is is really good on Memphis. You got Desmond Bain, you got Jaron Jackson Jr., who's going to be one of the top three for defensive player of the year this year. They had some bad injuries, though. They had Brandon Clark go out. They had Steven Adams go out. I think if those two guys were playing, I would absolutely have Memphis taking the series. But because they aren't, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with Memphis's big men. Jaron Jackson Jr., quite frankly, has an issue when it comes to being in foul trouble. We saw it in the playoffs last year. He would get in foul trouble early in games, and it essentially plays him out of some games. And that's going to be really crucial that that doesn't happen for this Memphis team in in order for them to get to the next round. Then on the other side, you have these two guys in Anthony Davis and LeBron James who are both really, really good at getting contact, at getting to the rim, at getting to the foul line. And I think that is going to be something they will be forcing every single game out. They're going to be trying to get Jaron Jackson Jr. in foul trouble. And if that happens, then the game becomes just a lot more easy for the Lakers. Um, Another thing I'm watching is just LeBron. Like I said, he 
is absolutely one of those guys that plays chess on basketball and he's looking for certain matchups. I think he's going to be looking to take the ball at John Morant a lot. And he's the guy that is able to expose matchups like that. It doesn't matter how the defense is able to try and cover them up. LeBron, the way he reads basketball, the way he just reads the court in general, he's able to expose those matchups. And so I think that's going to be something we'll see. We'll see probably a lot of pick and roll with LeBron and the guards and so that he can get favorable matchups. Um, and then ultimately, I just think it's going to come down to who's shooting the best. Um, like I said, Memphis, they do have some really good players. Uh, they have some shooters. If John Morant is shooting like we've seen him shoot kind of at the beginning of this season or against the Warriors last year, I think Memphis takes it. However, if you have some of the Lakers guys go off, like I think D'Angelo Russell is probably going to have a random 35-point game in this series. And I think you could have a guy like Rui Hachimura come off for the ben- come off the bench for like 20 points, get hot from three, or Malik Beasley. Um, they, they, I think the Lakers actually have a surprising amount of options that they can go to, and I think that's going to be crucial. Ultimately, I'm really not sure who to pick. I, just the way I've seen this season play out and the way LeBron is getting older, I do think I would bet against them. I would bet against the Lakers. So I think I'm going to take Memphis. However, I do see this series going to seven, and I think ultimately whoever has home court at the end is probably going to win. So I'm taking Memphis in seven, but I think it's a toss-up. Yeah, that's a solid prediction. Um, should be an exciting matchup. I'm, I'm really, I'm look, I'm really looking forward to that one. I think that's going to be one of the more fun, fun games to watch uh, throughout this first round. Okay, next one: Suns Clippers. Um, obviously, the Suns with a healthy roster are dominant. Uh, great starting five. They gave up what used to be a really good supporting cast uh, for the original starting five in the last few years. And that's kind of what made the Suns great, especially in that run in 2020, uh, 2020, 2021, um, when they made it to the finals, it just felt like everyone knew their role. They did it well and they didn't really complain. They just went out there, did their thing. And that's what was able to get them all the way to the NBA finals. Now they gave up some of those pieces um, for Kevin Durant, but you just have so much firepower offensively that it's so difficult to overcome. Uh, Clippers, same thing. I, I think it was a it's a better um, spot for Russell Westbrook personally on an individual level. Um, it's nice to see him kind of feel more comfortable than he was with the Lakers, um, and I just kind of think it fits his role a little bit better. Um, but ever since. Um, I think the Clippers took over uh, the Jazz in 2021. Things just haven't been the same, especially with Kawhi since that injury. Um, He's had dominant stretches uh, through certain parts of the season, but it just feels like they haven't really had consistent play with all of their players healthy, um, and they haven't made that much noise. I'm going to make a hot take, a bold prediction here, and say the Clippers are going to take one of the first two games um, on the road. Um, I just like... Listen, you can hate Russell Westbrook. You can love Russell Westbrook. I just love his energy in the playoffs. And I think even when you have a robot like Kawhi Leonard on your team, I I just feel like I like them stealing one. Um, The Suns know that they have the firepower. I think you obviously can look around the locker room and you can just say, okay, we got Kevin Durant, we got Devin Booker, we got Chris Paul, we got um, uh, DeAndre Ayton. And you can just kind of say like, all right, we got this in the back. And I feel like maybe the Suns might have a small amount of that mentality in the first two games at home. And a lot of people are predicting this series to be over very quickly. I've seen a lot of 
basically five game predictions, kind of like a 4-1 series. I can definitely see it going that way. I'm not saying it's going to. Uh, but I think the Clippers may be able to surprise for maybe a few games. So I'm going to hover around the five and a half margin. I can see this going to six. I can see it going to five. I don't really see it going to seven. Um, so maybe I'll be a little bit of a loser here. I'm going to go with five and a half for Suns Clippers because um, I can kind of see it um, going to six, but also Suns taking care of business pretty handedly. Richie, what are you thinking about this uh, match between Phoenix and LA? I, I love this matchup. It's one of my favorite first season matchups or first round matchups. Um, I really am excited to watch like the KD versus Kawhi duel. And then you don't even, you don't have Paul George probably most of this series. Unfortunately, he's injured. I think that really hurts the Clippers. I would really like them in this series if they had Paul George. But because they don't, I think that really hurts them. Um, I think the wild card, and it's weird that we got into this point, but I, I actually think the wild card in this series is Russell Westbrook. I think if he is able to play, like we know he's able to play, um, if if he's able to play really well this series, make life hard for Chris Paul, especially on the defensive end, and just raise his intensity, get shooters open, be kind of that game manager that sometimes the Clippers need, because I think I think Phoenix is going to throw a lot at Kawhi. Obviously, Kawhi is an incredible player, incredible in the postseason. He absolutely raises his game, and he's had an incredible year this year when he's been playing. Super efficient, super, super efficient scorer. Um, so I think Phoenix will try to kind of scheme him out of the game and live and die by Westbrook. And I think that's what it's going to happen. So if Westbrook is able to punish certain matchups, I think this season could go well. This playoff series could go well for the Clippers. Ultimately, though, I just I've I've been saying this since they got Kevin Durant. I don't know how you stop two of the most dominant scorers in the NBA right now, and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, when their third option is a Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton pick and roll. Like that that pick and roll is better than a lot of teams' first options. And I absolutely just believe in their offense. Um, I think the wild card for Phoenix is going to be which one of their role players is hot in this series. Um, you've had it in stretches. You've had stretches where Torrey Craig is hot. You've had stretches where uh, a Kogi is hot, where Tor- where um, Ish Wainwright is hot. And I think if one of those guys gets hot, is able to close games with those other four Phoenix Suns, then they're going to be really, really hard to, to beat. Um, I'm also excited just for the Monty Williams, Ty Lue coaching matchup. Uh, obviously, two two of the best coaches in the game right now, just from an X's and O's perspective, from getting their guys up for the postseason. I'm really excited to see what happens there and just the basketball matchups that go on in this series. But I think it has all-time potential to be a really good series. And it kind of stinks that we're getting it in the first round because I would love to see both teams at full strength going at it again in like the Western Conference Finals. But... Ultimately, I'm just I'm grateful we've gotten to the point where we have these three guys, these three Apex guys in Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, LeBron James back in the playoffs and all competing in the same conference and potentially having two of those matchups within like the second round. I think it's just awesome for the sport of basketball for where the NBA is right now. And it's it's probably the last time we're going to see it. I don't think, you know, things could go bad for all three teams next year as far as like an injury because of where these guys are in their injury histories. But ultimately I, I, th- I think it's really awesome. It's a really cool spot to be in. Um, my pick for this series is going to be Phoenix. I'm taking Phoenix and six. 
Once again, I think that's a great prediction. I 100% agree, though. I think kind of like how we're transitioning into a new era of the NFL with new star players, I just kind of forgot to relish like the classics that we grew up with. And the fact that we're getting into, you know, the closing chapters of LeBron and, you know, Katie is getting up there. It's kind of weird, but we just have to appreciate it for what we have. So thank you for reminding us to be grateful and humble for, for all that the Lord has blessed us with in terms of NBA basketball. <laughs> um, so next matchup in the West warriors Kings. Um, I've been a big light, the beam guy, just because the fact that they haven't been to a playoff in, uh, wow. Um, probably since the stone age and the fact that this organization has been able to come back from the brink of collapse. I felt like they just, obviously they just weren't competing um, for the longest time. And this fan base deserves this more than anything. The fact that they're the higher seed, they're going up against the defending champion warriors. A lot of great storylines around here. Um, I think that uh, once again, the warriors have always had the roster and like we've been mentioning in all these series, um, matchups and predictions, it, it's your star power, and that's what keeps you in. And you can't really just throw Steph Curry away because the Kings have the higher seed. Um, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, um, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, like you still have such a good cast. You have such a good roster. You can't just say, like, ah, oh, the Kings will take this because the Warriors had a really down year after winning the championship. Um, and it's true. Golden state ends 44 and 38, I think was their final record. And you're kind of just thinking like, how could this happen? Obviously injuries, there was a ton of injuries along the way. Um, and the Kings were just able to play very well as a team. And we talked a lot about, uh, Sabonis and his, his ball screens. He's able to play really well with De'Aaron Fox and Fox has been able to be such a clutch player in the league this year. I I've just loved it. And I think the Kings have been a fun team to watch overall play together. Um, we did hear that Harrison uh, Harrison Barnes did injure his ankle in practice a few days ago. Uh, they said he would be expected to play in game one. But I think that's kind of where uh, I would be weary of the Kings just because I think, like I was saying about the Suns in years past, every player has a role on this Sacramento roster, and they play very well. Um, and so if one of those pieces goes down, do any of the other players have the ability to step up and make up for lack of scoring? Um, Barnes is obviously a really good perimeter shooter. Uh, this year, he's also been able to attack very well from games that I've seen him play in. Um, I like how he's playing still at you know this late this you know late in his career, um, and obviously he's going up against his former team in Golden State. I think this is a really fun matchup. Um, Steph Curry, like the other greats that we've been talking about, he just goes off in the playoffs. And that's when you know you have a superstar. I think that's kind of what set Donovan Mitchell on his path was he was really good in the regular season. And then when they had to play against the big three against OKC in 2017, he took it to that next level. And that kind of boosted him into his, uh, you know, into his career. Then we saw the bubble, obviously, and, and everything after that. Those are what... Those are the types of players that you want on your roster. Steph Curry is going to go down as one of the best to ever play the game of basketball. If you have him on your roster, you got to give him at least, I, I, in my opinion, two games like just right off the bat. I don't think like you can just negate like Steph Curry can get blown out in four or five. Um, I, I I love the Kings, light the beam, um, but I, I think I'm going to go with the Warriors in seven in this one. Um, I think the Kings will have such a good home advantage. 
Um, I'm so excited to see a playoff game in Sacramento. Um, I really want to tune into that first game because I think it's just going to be so fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go with Warriors in seven just because of the experience. Obviously, you can say that they're maybe their dynasty has already run out, but I just like their chances in this one um, just because of the experience that they have on the roster and in the coaching staff. I like that. I like that pick. I, I absolutely think championship pedigree where they've come from. They've won four championships in like the last seven years. That's really important. Um, and I kind of think this series has a potential to be an offensive shootout. And I ultimately think it's going to come down to which team gets hotter versus which team has better defenders. Um, Golden State has better defenders. I think if Draymond, Wiggins, Looney lock in, then that's going to be really hard for Sacramento to score. Um, we've seen what okay, what Golden State's defense can be in the past, and it can rise to that elite occasion. I think they will absolutely rise. Obviously, Clay isn't the defender he used to be. Um, Steph will have to be doing a lot on the offensive end, and they'll try to make life hard for him, but it's going to be very difficult. I think the thing that the Kings have going for them is Mike Brown. Mike Brown is, I think he should absolutely be the coach of the year this year. Um, he has been an assistant with the Golden State Warriors for the past couple of years. He knows their system. He knows what they're going to do. He knows Steve Kerr. I think just from optics, that's going to be, or just from a basketball standpoint, that's going to be really, really important. Um, and the way he's able to counter some of Steve Kerr's schemes and some of the things Golden State does to take out certain guys from Sacramento in this game. Um, Sacramento, I, I like him. Uh, I don't think it's just a feel-good story. I think they've had everything they've done this year has been earned, and they played really good basketball all season long. De'Aaron Fox has been an incredible player. DeMontis Sabonis should absolutely be an all-NBA player this year. I think both both of them should be. Um, if Sacramento's shooters, specifically Herder and Monk, get hot, then it's going to be really hard to stop them. And if Sacramento can put together some of the elite offense, some of the number one offense we've seen all year, then I think they're going to be really hard to stop. Um, unfortunately, as shooters, just the nature of being a shooter, you go through hot stretches and cold stretches. You just hope you get hot at the right time. Um, so I think that's what it's going to come down to. But like you, I do think this series is going to go to seven. And I'm also going to take Golden State. I think the series has potential to be just an incredible series. You have the two Northern California teams 45 minutes away from each other playing in the playoffs first round um, with everything Golden State's been through, all their championship pedigree versus Sacramento, just getting back to the playoffs for the first time in like 18 years. I think it's an incredible story and the series could go either way in my opinion but ultimately i'm going to choose golden state just because they do deserve um to the benefit of the doubt with what they've done in the past i mean last year they kind of came out of nowhere not nowhere because everybody knew they were the golden state warriors everybody knew they were going to be really good but you kind of i, I kind of didn't see them being the team that came out of the west and they absolutely did they won the championship they destroyed boston in six and i think they're going to have that same level of intensity that they had last year in the playoffs. They're going to rise to the occasion. And I, I like their rotation. I like where they're at. I think they absolutely are going to make a run in the playoffs. And I think it's going to start with the first round. Look at us being on the same page. So beautiful. All right. Now that we've kind of tackled things in the West, um, obviously we'll understand who Denver's matchup is. Um, and maybe we could talk about those one seats later on, but going over into the East, 
Um, I think the matchups, in my opinion, are maybe not as interesting. Maybe until Knicks-Cavs, I mean, obviously. like that's yeah, I think that one's line. interesting. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll start with maybe the, we can tackle two series at a time, and then we can talk about that Knicks-Cavs one. Um, Sixers-Nets, Celtics-Hawks. Um, I think Joel Embiid is going to be dominant in the first round. Um, obviously, a lot of talk about how he wants to win the MVP. And um, I'll admit, Joel Embiid has a personality that a lot of people hate, but Sixers fans really love. Um, because he's truly himself. Um, I feel like kind of the way that superstars are nowadays, just very vocal. But like the other stars, as you mentioned earlier, he knows how to draw fouls. And being a fan of a team that goes against him, it can be frustrating at times when Joel Embiid is getting to the line like the ancient Harden used to do back in you know 2013, 2014 days where Joel Embiid is shooting like 15 free throws a game. I think, I think Embiid can take advantage of this net squad. I really do like uh, Brooklyn, though. I, I like the the kind of the fun youth that they have. Um, Cameron Payne has been able to really go off ever since he was a part of that Suns trade. And I like that he's been able to explode in terms of scoring um, after um, he moved on from Phoenix. And because he was in that role um, with the Suns, obviously he was limited in scoring because you have prominent scorers like Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre, and, and the likes. And ever since then, he's been able to average um, – a decent amount of points over 20 points a game since he was able to go to Brooklyn. And I think that's amazing for him on an individual level. I really like also, you know, Royce O'Neal was playing very well over there. They just have a good cast. And I feel like I just like the vibes over there, but I think the Sixers just have Embiid, in my opinion, is just a big difference maker. Harden also can go off. You have another shooter. Um, and like we've been mentioning in all series before, it's all about the star power. That one for me, I'm going to go with the Sixers in five um, Celtics Hawks. Um, Celtics, obviously a storyline throughout the entire season drama before the season even started. Um, and now they're able to kind of, they've been able to navigate and just kind of play their game throughout the entire way. Um, Jason Tatum is obviously very fun to watch Jalen Brown. We kind of can see who will show up. Um, obviously a lot of drama outside saying, well, maybe he's going to leave Boston. Um, doesn't seem like he likes the fan base there that much. And the playoffs is I, the fans play, in my opinion, such a crucial part in uh, basically throughout the entire entirety of the playoffs um, because I think home court advantage is just so key in a lot of these matchups. Um, the Hawks showed to me a different team than what I thought they would be in that play-in game, um, which I thought was very um, su surprising, but I was also pleasantly surprised. Uh, Quinn Snyder is well-known for his playbooks, able to drop... Um, Great things for his squad. And I think he outcoached Eric Spolstra in that game. Um, the way that he had certain matchups, um, the way that he was able to draw out certain offensive possessions, I think it was just very fun to watch the Hawks play basketball in that first playing game. We've also seen Quinn Snyder be outcoached in past playoff series. That's really why he's not in Utah anymore, in my opinion, is because of him being outcoached by other squads, mainly because of what they're able to do to his roster that he wasn't really willing to change. I think that might be different with this Hawks squad. I think he might be able to learn from his mistakes. But once again, I think the Celtics star power is going to overtake the Hawks. But I'm going to go Celtics-Hawks in six, maybe take six and a half. But I'm going to go with Celtics in six, Sixers in five. So, Richie, what are your predictions for those two matchups out in the East? Yeah, okay, starting with Brooklyn-Philly, I think you hit the hammer. The hammer. I, you hit the nail on the head. Um, Joel Embiid is going to be the story of this series. And to me... What if I what I would do if I were Brooklyn 
I would just let, let Embiid be Embiid. Um, I mean, Embiid can score 40 points, 50 points, whatever. Um, what you got to do is take out some of the other guys. You can't let Harding go off for 30 and 11. You can't let Tyrese Maxey go off for 30 points. You can't let Tobias Harris get hot. Um, Philly has a lot of options, and I think if you zero in too much on Joel Embiid, it's going to be really hard. The thing I like about Brooklyn, what they have going for them, is just the their flexibility of their roster. Um, they have so many wings. It's it's absolutely absurd. They have Bridges, Finney Smith, Cam Johnson, Royce O'Neal. Um, I'm definitely forgetting a few. But then you got Nick Claxton, you got Spencer Dinwiddie filling in some of the gaps. And I really I like this Brooklyn squad. However, they were like 10 and 13 after the All-Star break, after they made the trades. They're, I think a lot of the position that they're in as far as where they are in the playoffs right now is a credit to what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were doing earlier in the season. And while I like this Brooklyn squad, I think Mikhail Bridges is going to be an All-Star in the very soon near future. Um, ultimately, I just I, I don't think they have the same things Philly has. And Philly has playoff experience. They have a top five player in the NBA, um, James Harden. I think he's going to rise up in this series at least because it seems like James Harden does well in the series that he's supposed to win in. Um, and so ultimately, I'm taking Philly in four in that series. Um, moving on to Atlanta, Boston. I, I like this series. Uh, credit to Atlanta for getting here. Um, it's definitely a favorable matchup for Boston, though. And... The reason I say that is because of just all the offensive options that Boston has. They have Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, Derek White off the bench. Derek White has had an incredible season. Like he's probably going to be an all defense guy. He has played really good when he's been asked to be the starter. Then you got, then you throw in Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Um, we don't know what Robert Williams' status is yet. Then you got Al Horford. Boston is just one of the most complete teams in the NBA. And because of just their complete offensive versatility, I think they're going to be able to really hunt Trey Young, um, who has been just an absolute defensive liability since the moment he's walked into the NBA. And that's fine. That's his size. He makes up for it on offense, but it's absolutely a weakness that I think will be hard for a first-year coach and then Quinn Snyder. For a guy that hasn't even been coaching this team for like more than half of a season. I think it's going to be really hard for him to get geared up for this Boston team who he's had no playoff experience against. He's had limited regular season experience against them. Um, it's just going to be really hard for them. So I'm also going to take Boston in four, two sweeps in my opinion. Um, I just don't see any, either of these series being very close. Um, but I think the series everybody's most excited about, the first round series in the East, is Cavs Knicks. What are, what are you looking for in Cavs Knicks? Thatch? Yeah. Before I move on to Cavs Knicks, I need to apologize to all the diehard uh, Nets fans and Suns fans. I mixed up Cameron Payne and Mikhail Bridges. Uh, those two literally had the similar roles on the Phoenix squad, and I literally <laughs> just mixed them up. So my bad to all those fans out there. Uh, but I, all the things I said about Cameron Payne earlier, I meant to say about Mikhail Bridges. So maybe just sub that in as you listen along. Um, okay, now going on to Knicks Cavs. Uh, again, this is a storyline mostly because of what happened with Donovan Mitchell in the offseason. Grew up a Knicks fan. Rumor was he was most likely going to go to New York um, after last season with the Jazz. Ends up going to Cleveland. Then Jalen Brunson is able to get a really big deal with New York um, after a dominant series. Um, basically, a, a dominant playoff series against the Jazz. Still played very well throughout the rest of the you know the Western Conference uh, playoffs. But 
I, I just really think that Utah series is kind of what did him into this contract with New York, and he's made the most of it. Um, I really like Jalen Brunson's play. Uh, not when I'm not when my team's playing against him, but watching him play. Um, he just seems to have this confidence in himself ever since that series in um, like hot game situations, end of game situations. That just makes it really fun to watch. Um, again, you kind of got a young squad, a team that I think a lot of people have counted out lots of times, Julius Randle. Um, I honestly thought kind of like a one and done type of thing after, you know, um, did he win? It was most approved player, right? That's what he won a few years ago. Yeah. I think two years ago he won most improved. Yeah. And, um, I felt like last year he might've played, he, he, in my opinion, maybe plateaued a little bit. Now he's been able to kind of pick it back up. And I really like the Knicks squad. Um, the Cavs, uh, are dynamic. Um, I love, um, Evan Mobley, uh, Darius Garland's really fun to watch as a point guard. Um, and obviously Donovan Mitchell is one of the top scorers now in the NBA. The thing that they're lacking though, is the defense. And what I saw last year between the Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson matchup, Brunson takes advantage of poor defenders, um, as a point guard. And I think the athleticism that the Knicks have as well is, is very interesting to keep an eye on RJ Barrett. Um, and, um, others who I feel like can get past the weak um, front court of, or, yeah, weak back, ugh. the weak guards of Cleveland uh, and Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, who in my opinion are the weakest defenders out of the guards in the series. Um, I think Donovan goes off once again as a playoff contender. I think he's moving up there in the list across the terms of general terms of the NBA as one of the most fun NBA players to watch in the playoffs in playoffs. Um, Jeez, dude, this is hard. I, I don't like the Knicks, mainly because of Stephen A. That's just like my personal opinion. But I, I think I'm going to go, uh, dude, but Evan, Evan, Mo, dude, this is tough. I'm Maybe I'll lean on your, I'm going to lean with what your prediction is, and I'm just going to go with it. So maybe just give me what your thoughts are, and I'll just agree with it. Okay. Um, Donovan Mitchell rises for the playoffs. Um, I think he has shown, especially the last couple of years that he absolutely gets up now, take away this Dallas, that Dallas series last year. I don't think that was who Donovan Mitchell was. I don't think that's who the jazz team just as a whole was. They were, it was dysfunctional. I don't, I don't throw that series against Donovan Mitchell. Um, however, I think what we saw two years ago against Memphis against the Clippers. And then the year before that against Denver gives me a lot of reason to believe in Donovan Mitchell as being a playoff riser. And I think he's going to absolutely rise to the occasion with this group in Cleveland. Um, I really like this Cleveland squad. They have a really dynamic offense and a really dynamic defense. Their defense is number one in the NBA. And I think a big part of that is Evan Mobley. Um, the way he is able to just roam around is really interesting to me. One of the things I'm going to be watching out for is the Knicks trying to force a switch and getting Jalen Brunson on uh, Jalen Brunson um, attacking Evan Mobley because in the past, that has been successful for um, the Knicks. Another thing to keep an eye on is Julius Randle's status. He had a little ankle injury a couple weeks ago. Um, he's been ramping up, but like he hasn't played the five-on-five -five contact. He'll probably play in this series, but I think if he's not looking like the Randle he was earlier this season, it's going to make life really hard for um, the Knicks. The, the Knicks, I like their team. Um, I think RJ Barrett's pretty okay. I'm I'm kind of mixed on him. However, I like a lot of the pieces off their bench. I really like Emmanuel quickly. I think he's a really good player. I like Mitchell Robinson. I like Jalen Brunson. Um, they have a lot of good pieces. Obi Toppin. 
And I think those pieces, sorry, Josh Hart, I'll just keep naming them. Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, I like all these pieces on New York. And I think those pieces together have played really good basketball all year. And I think Tibbs has been a great coach for this squad. Um, But Cleveland has the star power. They have a guy who is going to be top three for defensive player of the year, along with a guy who was an all-star last year as their center. Um, Then you got Darius Garland. You got Donovan Mitchell. The big question for me about Cleveland is what's going to happen off their bench. You got Rubio coming off. You got Chetty Osman, Karis LeVert. If LeVert gets hot, then it's going to be really, really hard to stop this Cleveland team. Um, And if he's just kind of how he's been all season, pretty up and down, then I think it's going to be more of a toss-up. Ultimately, though, I think Cleveland is going to take the series, and I'm going to go Cleveland in five. I just, I'm really worried about that Julius Randle situation, as well as I believe in Donovan Mitchell. I think he's going to rise up for the playoffs. And this Cleveland team has been waiting. They have been anxious to get here. Um, Last year, they were almost in. They were the seventh seed in the play-in. Lost both games, unfortunately, after some hardy injuries down the end of this at the end of the stretch of the season. And now just because of where they are, I think they're anxious to be here. They're really excited to be here. I think they're gonna play really good basketball. And they have the they have leadership and playoff experience in Donovan Mitchell, in Ricky Rubio, and some of the other guys that have been on this setting that I think is gonna absolutely translate to guys like Darius Garland and Evan Mobley as they get ready for the series. So ultimately I'm going to leave, I'm going to lean Cleveland. Okay. I'll go with you there. Um, now we're kind of running low on time. So maybe let's just run through because we're going to have end of season awards tonight on TNT. We're going to go through our predictions. So if you're listening to this after Friday, um, see if we got anything right. Um, I think most of them are pretty sure at this point, obviously I think a lot of them are locks at this point of the season. Um, the big topic right now, as is always, is the MVP award. Uh, Joel Embiid, like I said, has been very vocal about it, but Nicole Yoke is just going for a three-peat. Uh, Richie, who do you have winning the MVP award this year? Um, I actually have Joel Embiid, and th- this was a hard one for me because I think him, Giannis, and Jokic have all had really good seasons, but ultimately I'm leaning Embiid. Um, there's absolutely a case for each one of them, though. Uh, and... I want to be clear. My pick isn't based on narrative. I think Embiid's scoring season and the way he scored, he's not scoring like Shaq did. He's not dominating, bruising people to the basket. He's scoring just in a very clean way. He looks like larger Kevin Durant out there. And I think, I I just think the season he's had has been really incredible. So I'm taking Joel Embiid with my MVP. Yeah. I think it's time for Joel to get his dues. Um, I think Nikola Jokic is right up there with him. I, I think the other thing, though, that sets Joel Embiid apart is uh, I feel like he's a culture setter for the 76ers. Uh, Nikola Jokic is uh, very good, but I don't think uh, Nikola is a really good culture setter. I don't think he's kind of a vocal leader. He's really good on the floor, but I just like Joel Embiid as what he does for that organization. And like you said, like he's just such a good scorer, and you have to appreciate that. And him being a runner-up a few times, you got to give the man his dues give him his MVP and we can move on to next season. I'm, I'm hoping to see that we can see some new players in that top three. Um, obviously you want to see consistent players be at the top. Giannis, Joel, Nicole, obviously you want to see him do well, but I'd like to see some new guys up there, but yeah, I'm going to give him bead, give him his dues. Okay. Uh, next one. Uh, let's go rookie of the year. This one was kind of a uh, hot topic with uh, local tribune writer, Andy Larson, as he was what seems to be the only man who picked Walker Kessler as everyone picked uh Paulo Ranchero, uh, who are you going to go with? Um, I'm I'm taking Paulo. 
I think the season Paulo Bencaro has had has been incredible. Um, I also think just factoring context into what uh, Paulo Bencaro is doing versus what Walker Kessler has been doing is really interesting because Paulo Bencaro has had a lot more of a creation role. And I'm not saying that Walker Kessler's role is any easier because I think the role Walker Kessler has taken on has been really hard. I just think through the course of the entire season, Paulo Bencaro has been the more um, impressive player. Also, people are kind of leaving Jalen Williams out of this conversation because of that vote for Walker Kessler by Andy Larson. But Jalen Williams absolutely deserves to be in this conversation. Um, ultimately, I'm leaning Paulo Bencaro, and that's not that's not to discredit the great season Kessler or Jalen Williams have had. I just I think Paulo Bencaro, the way he even started the season was incredible. Uh, started like with the most points since LeBron James, and. Yeah, I think I think his season absolutely deserves rookie of the year. Yeah, most 20-point games since LeBron James rookie year is something to be very proud of. I'm going to go with Paolo as well. Um, uh, scoring is important, and Walker Kessler played important minutes, uh, but he was more of a rotational uh, – he, he was more of a rotational piece. And I think that moving forward, he will be an all-defensive type NBA player. The fact that he was one of the best defenders in the NBA as a rookie speaks very highly as to what his potential can be. Kind of the same thing with – Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons, like Ben Simmons won rookie of the year, but Donovan had greater potential and he was able to take advantage of it. I think Paolo can still be great. I'm not saying he's going to dive like as Ben Simmons has, but I think Walker, although he won't win it, has the potential to be uh, an NBA great, especially on the defensive end. So yeah, I'm going to go with Paolo as well. Okay. Most improved player. I'm going to go with Laurie Markkinen. I just think that overall he's had just such a big jump from last year to this year. And he went from being a rotational beast to being a key figure um, of a team. Um, and especially being in the league for five years or, you know, four or five years, and now finally becoming a key piece of a franchise. I, I just think you have to give it to Lori. So I'm going to go, with, I'm going to go with Markkinen. I agree. I think his leap has come more out of the blue than Shea Gilgis Alexander's has. Um, my only, the antithesis I would present is, is it harder to jump from, not being an all-star to an all-star player or from being a borderline all-star to being quite, quite frankly, Che Gilgis Alexander has been a top six NBA player this season. Um, and I, I wonder if that jump is more impressive. That's just, I'm throwing that out there as a question, ponder it, think about it, pray about it. Um, but yeah, ultimately I have, I have Laurie Markin in as well. Yeah, that's a valid argument. So maybe uh, people can give us what the, their comments and what they think about that. Okay. Um, defensive player of the year. Who do you got? Uh, I, I, I've got Evan Mobley. Um, Evan Mobley has played in 16, say 79 games, excuse me. So he's, he only missed three games all season. Cleveland had the best defense, whereas Jaron Jackson Jr. played 63 games. They have the number two defense. I think contextualizing that is important. Jaron Jackson Jr. has had a really good in defensive season. However, when he, when he was out for however many games he was out, I think around 19 games, his team was still able to manage to be a number two defense in the NBA. And I think that speaks very highly about just his supporting cast. Um, Brooke Lopez has been in this conversation. He absolutely deserves to be in this conversation. But when I look at the defenders around Brooke Lopez, it's hard for me to like say that his season has been more impressive than Mobley's or Jaron Jackson Jr.'s because he's playing with a former defensive player of the year in Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's playing with a perennial all-defensive guy in Drew Holiday and then some solid defense around that. And I don't want to discredit Brooke Lopez because he's having, quite frankly, the best year of his career um, at his age is crazy. But 
I'm ultimately leaning Evan Mobley. Um, and I think Evan Mobley deserves it. Yeah, as much as I was being harsh on the uh, on Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell on their defense, I, I think you give it to Evan Mobley because of his blanket security that he does for him. I, I think he does just such a great job. He, I think he has to make up for what his teammates lack. And I think that's really why Rudy Gobert was able to be such a good defensive player of the year for the past few years is because of the weaknesses of his teammates, and he's able to make up for it by being such a dominant player. Um, I think I'm going to go with Evan Mobley as well. Okay. Dude, um, it's it's also crazy. It's it's only his second year in the NBA. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. It, that, he's already in this conversation. It's awesome. Good good for yeah. Evan. And I think Walker Kessler can also be here by year two, year three. Like, you could definitely talk to him. Like, he could definitely be in the conversation next year as well. Evan Mobley, though, like, if you have that type of size, I mean, you have to take advantage of it as an NBA player. And luckily, he has in his first two years in the NBA. Awesome to see. Um, okay, uh, sixth man of the year. I'm going to go with Emmanuel quickly from New York. Um, I think mostly because I think he started a decent amount of games this year. Um, kind of like, I feel like what Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles did where players got injured, they went into the lineup and they still did their thing. He was still averaging over 20 points a game when he was a starter for the Knicks. And I think started like 22 games this season, uh, shooting at a pretty decent clip, but that means when he's coming off the bench, he's doing the same thing. So I'm going to go with quickly as six man of the year. I like it. Um, I also have quickly, he has played 81 games compared to Malcolm Brogdon, 67, uh, they're both averaging 14.9 points per game, 4.2 rebounds per game. Uh, Brogdon is barely edging him out on assists per game by averaging just 0.3 more. Um, they're plus minus through about, uh, well, Quickly's played 2,300 minutes. Brogdon's played 1,700. And Quickly has been plus 319 in those minutes. And Brogdon has been plus 182. Uh, incredible seasons for both of them. They p- absolutely played their roles. I think it is more impressive just what Emmanuel Cookley has done through the course of the season. Being a six man isn't just coming off the bench. It's filling in when your team needs you. I think that's the essence of the award. And Emmanuel Quickly has done that better than anybody while also meeting the threshold for having more games off the bench than more games starting. Um, and I just think the way he's filled in for his teammates as people have been injured and hurt is really important. Um, so like you, I'm leaning Emmanuel Quickly. All right. Clutch player of the year. I think this one's pretty obvious. I think it's got to be De'Aaron Fox, mostly because of how many points he's scored when it comes to clutch minutes, but also like the amount of attempts he has compared to any other player when it comes to clutch time. I think he has more than double who number two is. And I think number two is Bradley Beal um, uh, and what the NBA terms clutch minutes, how many shot attempts he put up. Um, I I just think De'Aaron Fox is the clear answer. So I'm going to go with De'Aaron for uh, clutch player of the year. Yeah, I think you hit it on the money. I'm also taking De'Aaron Fox, Clutch Player of the Year. Joel Embiid deserves to be in the conversation, but because I gave him the MVP, I, I'm kind of removing him from this conversation and taking De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. Hey, DeMar's had his time, too. I know he's in the top three. DeMar's, DeMar has great Clutch Dude, moments. he absolutely would have won it last year. Not even a question. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, those were some fun games to watch him last year. <laughs> okay, Coach of the Year, I think we both agree on this. You already mentioned it earlier. Mike Brown from Sacramento. Um, and yeah, and I, I think mostly because like you said, he comes from a pedigree of winning. He was able to bring it to Sacramento and immediately charge, uh, a number three seed in the West with such a great roster that's able to play well together. So Mike Brown, 100%. Yeah. All right. So we'll run through this. I know packed show. We just gave you basically every series except for the one. <laughs> uh, so hopefully you can try and contain it all. But to finish things off, of course, we are doing our draft segment on 
the best playoff series since 2010. Um, Richie, why don't you start us off? You get the number one pick this week. Give me your number one playoff series. Okay, this is my all-time favorite playoff series of all of all time. I said all-time twice. Um, but 2016, LeBron block, 3-1 comeback. I, I loved it. That sealed my love for basketball. Most incredible playoff series I ever watched. So I'm taking 2016 with the number one pick. Yeah, that was definitely going to be my number one. I 100% agree with you. People our age, like that was the series that really just made you fall in love with the finals. It was a classic rivalry. Like the the Cavaliers-Warriors through those three years, four years, was just so fun to watch the Christmas Day matchup. But that LeBlanc was something, if you were there, you just remember. You know, I remember where I was on the day of the LeBlanc. Um, I think for mine, I'm going to go with a series that can, in my opinion, be as close to rivaling the 2061, and that's going to be the 2013 NBA Finals between the Heat and the Spurs. Uh, the fantastic shot by Ray Allen. Every Again, another shot where you remember where you were and everything that was going into um, LeBron's legacy. Um, the big three, you had a, a really good dynasty with the Spurs. I think that's another matchup that will just live the test of time. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with 2013 Heat versus Spurs for my number one. I love it. That's a solid pick. Um, my second pick, I'm going to be taking the 2010 Lakers versus Celtics. Last time we had Lakers versus Celtics, it was awesome. Obviously, just a very storied um, rivalry between the two teams. You had Kobe versus Paul Pierce versus Ray Allen versus Kevin Garnett, Paul Gasol. Incredibly star-studded NBA Finals. It was their second time meeting in three years. Um, last time Kobe got to the finals. So I'm taking that one number two. Uh, for number three, I think I'm going to go with, uh, Mavs heat, mostly because I don't think anyone saw Dallas coming out of this one. And this solidified Dirk Nowitzki as one of the, I, I think as Lori Markinen has already mentioned a few times, like Nowitzki served as like an icon for European players. And I think this series really did it for him and really inspired the next generation of players from across the world. I, I think it was a fun watch. He had a gate, he had that. Uh, amazing game winner. I think it was in game two in Dallas and they kind of just took over from there. So I'm going to go with that one at my number two. I love it. That's a great pick. Um, my number three, I'm going to be taking Bucks versus Suns from two years ago. I This this playoff series just had a lot of really good moments for me. You had the Giannis block on DeAndre Ayton off of the lob. Um, you had Drew Holiday throw that insane lob. Um, the Suns started 2-0. and uh, Super improbable comeback from the Bucks. I love that series. I thought it was really good basketball for both teams. Um, and I'm taking that one with my number three pick. So for my number three, I'm going to go to the same year that you picked for your number one, 2016, but I'm going to go with the Western conference finals between the thunder and the warriors. Ooh. We have to remember that warriors team was the most winning team of all time, in the regular season beating out the 98 bulls. And that thunder team was absolutely dominant in the first part of that series going up three, one, and they won games three and four by sizable margins, like blowout victories. And I was like, I was really happy for that Thunder team because Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, like such a fun combo to watch that year. But then the Warriors just come storming back. And you have to thank Clay Thompson for going off on the road, especially in game seven. I think they were down double digits, able to come back and win the game. Uh, took it to seven. So I'm going to go with that matchup as my number three. I love it. That's a great pick. Um, my number four, I'm going to break my final streak. I'm taking 2019 Raptors versus Sixers. 
That's the Kawhi shot series uh, where he hit that incredible corner three-pointer that just absolutely nobody thought was going in. Bounce, 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 drops in. Um, And that series, it had a lot of really good moments. It was a lot of good basketball between some of the top players in the NBA and Joel Embiid and Kawhi Leonard. Um, So I'm taking that one number four. For the uh, number four spot for me, I'm going to go with uh, Rockets versus Warriors 2018. The Warriors were able to go on and really win, you know, easily against the Cavs. But that Rockets squad, like, as a Jazz fan, it's not hard to forget how dominant they were because I felt like for those two years where the Jazz made the playoffs during that small dynasty in Houston, like, we always ran into them second round and it just kind of blew up in our faces. But that series was awesome. Um so many close games, Warriors able to take over, but I just think the shooting prowess on both on both squads uh, is just a really fun watch. So I'm gonna gonna go with that one at my number four. I love it. That's a great pick. Um, my number five. I loved this series. I it might not have been to like the expectations I already had it going to, and looking back on history, maybe it doesn't look as impressive. But 2015. Warriors coming out versus the Cavs, um, the emergence of the Golden State Warriors, putting themselves on the map. Steph Curry not winning finals MVP. Andre Iguodala winning finals MVP for only holding LeBron to like 38 points and 10 assists a game. Um, and then LeBron just still taking that team led by him, Delvadova, because Kyrie and Kevin Love were both out um, to six games was really impressive. And they honestly had a shot. And I think if they were fully healthy, that would have been a all-time playoff series. Um, so I'm taking that one, number number five. For my fifth spot, I'm going to do one that's close to home. I'm going to go 2017 Jazz versus Clippers. You start Ooh. off with a team that I don't think anyone predicted the Jazz to go past. Again, a Clipper squad that was predicted to be another type of dynasty. Uh, you had a solid roster, I feel like, every year, but they just never made it over a hump. Jazz go in, Joe Johnson buzzer beater game one. Hey, but that both, was one year ago from tomorrow, or or however many years ago from tomorrow. Oh, I love when you bring dates back on the <laughs> timeline. Thank you. Uh, I believe we were at prom that night. Uh, junior junior year prom was the day of the Joe Johnson buzzer beater. Um, but then both teams never um, – they couldn't really win at home. Like the Jazz, I believe, won three of the four on the road. And same thing with the Clippers. Like, they won three over in Utah. Like, just crazy back-and-forth action. There was never really a stretch where both teams were, you know, launching ahead. It was just, you know, Jazz won, Clippers win the next. They just go back and forth. So, that was just a super fun one to watch for me. So, I'm going to go with that one as number five. So, great draft. Honestly, playoffs are so fun to watch. This is the best of the best. Everyone should take advantage of it. I think this year is going to be no exception. I should be – I think everyone should be really excited to watch. Richie, any final thoughts for our future playoff watchers here tonight? Um, it's going to be a really good season, uh, a really good postseason. I would keep a closer eye on the West to start. And then kind of as it gets going, I think the second round Eastern conference matchups are going to be really exciting as well as the West. Um, but it has potential to be the best playoff in a couple of years. You have LeBron back, you have Kawhi back, you have Kevin Durant back. Um, you got Steph playing. It seems like most of the top players in the NBA outside of Luka Doncic, are playing in this year's playoffs. And I think that's really exciting. That's exactly what you want out of what I think is one of the premier products in sports. You heard it from the master here first, folks, on the Thatcher effect. 
So make sure to tune into all the playoff action. We'll see you guys early next week for what we've seen so far in the early rounds. And keep talking some more jazz basketball. Utes, as always, take it back to the normal. But thanks for tuning in this week, guys.